welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Julia Gerlach, Executive Editor. Montag Precision Metering Equipment is helping producers achieve their yield goals while saving on seed and input costs. For establishing cover crops, Montag's family of seed platform equipment adapts to a variety of major brand delivery systems that will conserve seed and nutrients along with soil and water. Explore new options for your production and conservation goals with your Montag dealer or on the Montag Manufacturing website. When first-generation farmer Russell Hedrick from Hickory, North Carolina took up farming, he couldn't afford the high-horsepower tractors and big tillage equipment he was told he needed in order to be successful. With some well-timed visits to his local soil and water conservation district to get ideas on dealing with erosion, Hedrick learned about no-till and cover crops and was soon on board with regenerative ag practices. For this episode of the Cover Crop Strategies podcast, contributing editor Martha Mintz chats with Russell about how he's used conservation practices like cover crops and no-till to stop erosion, improve soil function, and build soil aggregation by about an inch each year. He discusses how using the Haney Soil Health Test has helped save him $183 per acre on his best ground, why he does zone testing instead of grid testing, how he picks cover crop species for his farm based on carbon to nitrogen ratios, how he calculates nitrogen release and credits from cover crops, and more. Today, we're visiting with Russell Hedrick of Hickory, North Carolina. Hello, Russell. Thanks for joining me. Hey, glad to be with you today. All right. So, Russell, you're a first-generation farmer, but you've also got a lot of other uh, business ventures going on. You are uh, custom milling. You're, you've got stuff going with seed stores. You're, you're even into bourbon production. I'm sure I missed a lot of stuff. Uh, why don't you just tell me a little bit about yourself and, and what all you're doing that keeps you busy? So uh, we started farming in uh, our first crop season was 2012. Uh, we'll be coming up on our 10th year now, so that's kind of exciting. Um, we focus predominantly on grain production for either uh, direct-to-consumer marketing with uh, grits, cornmeal, and flowers, or uh, we actually do make the first bourbon in North Carolina since Prohibition. Uh, we also make uh, vodkas, whiskeys, uh, moonshines, rum. We do a lot with uh, with alcohol production, and then we also, you know, crazy guy named Ram Chaletta talked me into looking into livestock, and we added cattle, pigs, and sheep to the operation. Uh, so we started integrating livestock back in 2014, and then I partnered with uh, Dr. Liz Haney at Soil Region, um, and we're doing uh, farmer education, uh, consumer education, business education on farming practices that are ecologically better. And then we also started uh, Regen Mills, which is a mobile mill, and we can grind and uh, actually sift and package uh, direct for uh, consumer sales, or we're working with some fairly large companies that are looking at, you know, volume as far as integrating these different grains and, and commodity products into their product line. And then we're also um, partnered with Foothills Distillery, uh, that's where we started with, and we still work with Foothills and um, old Nick Williams. And then we actually started up our own distillery this last year called Farmers Reserve Distillery. Uh, anybody who's in production agriculture or supports production agriculture, they can invest in this company, and it gives a way for farmers to market their grain at a higher premium uh, to sell to the distillery and then also on the back end uh, have some profit sharing in that distillery as well. Um, and then we also have a trucking and grading company. Uh, we needed trucks on the farm uh, certain times of the year, but it really didn't justify 
really having, you know, the amount that we needed. So we started uh, doing custom hauling. We utilize those trucks pretty much year-round now in, in that operation when the farm doesn't need them. We stay fairly busy, not a lot of sleep. Well, I was just going to say, if if you keep saying we, I, I hope that's a team of like 30 people because you just described quite an impressive amount of things to tackle. It's actually not that many people. I think there's about, you know, between me and my partners, I would say there's a total of four people. Um, wow. And then we, we have quite a few employees on the trucking and grading side. But we actually launched Regenerative Verified. Um, actually, No-Till Farmer helped us do our press release with that and um, being able to actually take soil samples and have a non-biased opinion on whether ground is regenerative or not, um, the amount of people that have reached out and wanted to sign up for either regenerative verified or regeneratively grown um, the last couple of weeks has been pretty amazing. That's great. So, you know, with all the complexity that you have in your life, you you have you run a very straightforward farm. I'm assuming just corn and soybeans and and nothing else. Um, so we do predominantly corn and beans, but we also do quite a bit of small grain production. We're working with the malt houses, it could be barley or you know anywhere from you know red wheat, white wheat, triticale. You know, we do do some specialty types. You know different grains than you would see in a conventional type rotation, but they're on a much smaller scale in acreage versus the whole farm. Okay. Well, and I was being sarcastic because I know what you do do is, is very complicated <laughs> on the farm, and I just, I, I'm still grasping at how you manage to do all this. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, you said you've been farming for 10 years. Did you did you start out quite conventionally, or did you jump right in with cover crops and and all of that? Tell me tell me a little bit about your journey from the farm side of things. So when we first started looking to go into farming, we you know went to a local couple farm stores. There were a few farmers in my county I knew that you know we went and talked to them, and you know everybody everybody said you know hey 150 horsepower tractor, a 20 foot disc, and a six row planter, and um. Is the one positive thing we had is going into farming, you know, we didn't have the capital to purchase all of the tillage equipment. And I wouldn't say that we were full-blown conventional tillage um, like our neighbors would have been, but we were, I would say, halfway in between. Um, we had winter winter erosion issues. Um, we had, you know, winter weed issues that I went to my local soil and water district and ended up meeting a, a district conservationist. He was a D.C. at the time named Lee Holcomb, and, and Lee introduced us, you know, really into what no-till was, um, what cover crops were, and, and really we were just looking to satisfy that winter erosion issue and, and suppressing winter weeds. We had really no idea of the vast number of benefits that we could see from covers uh, when we first started this journey. But, you know, 2013, our second year, every acre since then has been uh, cover crop, we're no-till. And I, and I say we're no-till. I, I face the same farmers, everybody, you know, same issues other farmers face. You know, 2018, we had 100 inches of rain. We rutted up fields with the combines, the tractors, tripping it out. And we had to go in there and, and do some, some, some soil maintenance and, and get some stuff leveled up. But, you know, we didn't do full-scale, full-scale wide, you know, passes across the entire field. Yeah, and that rain situation hasn't gotten any better. You said uh, when we were chatting earlier today that it was uh, currently raining and has rained how much in the last week? We've had about eight inches in the last three weeks. Um, today alone, we've had close to two inches. It's pretty wet, and it's it's really weird. You know, the eastern part of North Carolina, they are fairly dry, if not moderate drought. And then western side, we just we keep picking up these showers, and it's it's making our springtime a little difficult getting getting on the fields and and getting either fertilizer out or lime or, or getting ready for planting. 
Okay. Are all of your fields covered with a cover crop right now? I guess what is what is your your landscape look like right now? I would say probably 75% of our acres um, have at least a five to seven way species cover crop on them. Um, the other 25% is either in small grain or um, we had a few farms that we were able to pick up in the last, you know, 30, 45 days that we call that the bottom of the barrel ground. Uh, it's pretty much starting at ground zero and uh, we're working on getting it into our system. So it's just something we picked up late that we weren't we weren't able to have covers on this last fall and you know i have put cover crops on in the springtime just to get some growth and 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 get a benefit out of it but uh with the wet weather we've had it just uh it's not working out yet to get anything established when you first started cover crops um you know it was it was for erosion um you know are you in an area where erosion is um you know a significant problem i guess describe the landscape there um so you know, western county ground, so we're pretty much at the foothill of the mountains. Um, our western side county ground is, is very hilly, very rolling, goes into, you know, river bottoms or, or little flat plateaus. When you start getting, you know, a little bit more in the eastern part of the county and then moving into the county beside of us, it starts getting more towards that flatter Piedmont. It's not quite as steep a slope, so, you know, erosion there isn't, isn't near as bad with just annual rainfall. For us to really look at every different acre the, the, the way that we can, it, it really, you know, even a no-till production system without cover crops will actually lose topsoil. Um, and, you know, turbo-tills came out and everybody started running those. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand it, but, you know, soil and water people in RCS, we're, we're actually classified as a 303D, uh, which means that there's full sediment from top to bottom in some of our, um, our lake systems uh, just from mm-hmm. the amount of erosion that we're seeing. So erosion was your initial initial goal. So were you able to stop or slow erosion on your farm with cover crops? Yeah, I mean, based on our observations and then, um, you know, working within RCS, they've got a program called Russell 2. You know, based on what we're doing with no-till, with covers, um, how we're implementing our rotation, um, they're saying that we're not losing topsoil. And, you know, based on what we've seen with organic matter changes and all of the I guess you could say the key indicators that we actually look for, you know, we're seeing topsoil actually being built. So we're, you know, going the opposite direction of what we were, you know, just 10 years ago. Yeah. So you're not only not losing it, you're, you're improving that soil. So in, in what ways do you measure how your soil is advancing? You know, is it just being, being able to see that it looks better or, or in what ways are you, you quantifying that advance in soil health? So we we farm predominantly either um, like a clay type soil or a, or a silt loam, typically bright red or orange in color. We we have a higher iron contents here. It, it almost looks like the color of rust when it's wet. Um, and you know, within two years of us, you know, implementing you know no-till with cover crops and some of the farms that were, I would say, truly even the worst degraded ones we've picked up, we had introduced livestock grazing into those. You start seeing you start seeing the top two inches start to turn a little bit darker. And then, you know, by the time you're getting about six or eight inches deep and, and you're seeing that color change, those top, you know, two inches, instead of being an orange or a red clay, it, it literally looks like chocolate cake. I mean, it is a dark, like brown, almost blackish looking color. And then that color kind of lightens up as you move deeper in the profile. And so like visually, that's what we look for. We look for that color change for that, essentially that carbon capture and, and how that's changing the soil structure. 
We look at soil aggregation. Instead of having um, layers that are compacted, we start seeing that aggregation. Um, it doesn't matter where you go in the world. Um, I've been to 46 states and, and nine countries. And typically with no-till, with cover crops and using regenerative practices, we can actually see, like we can go to your farm and dig with a spade. And if that if that aggregation is about two inches deep, you're typically about two to two and a half years into those practices. We're almost seeing an inch of aggregation every year. And there's some pretty cool people, you know, from South America that have been doing this 20, 30 plus years now. And they're seeing that two, three feet deep. Um, oh, wow. So those are those are visual indicators we look for. And then I got introduced to uh, Dr. Rick Haney and Dr. Liz Haney back in 2015. And we learned about the Haney test. Actually, in 13 is the first year we pulled it before we even really understood it. It was through a cost share through NRCS. And we implemented that test over our farm in, in 25% increments. So about four years in, we were we were utilizing that test on every acre. And uh, Rick has what I call the biological indicators built into that test, which is the CO2 respiration rate, which gives us an idea of, of building our microbial pool and that CO2 release and nutrient mineralization. And we also um, we look at... Um, at that point in time, it was simply we off water extract organic carbon, and that was the food source in which we were putting into the soil solution for that biology to be consumed. Okay. So when you got that testing done and, and over the, the progress of four years, what surprised you about that test? I don't mean to sound degrading towards our uh, state universities, but what surprised me the most, being first generation, I have no bias in agriculture. So we simply look at what is the best return on investment, what is the best return to improving our soil quality and our ecosystems that we affect through farming. And we are really being let down by conventional testing because even if you do a KCL or a nitrate test to see how much nitrogen is in your in your soil profile, they're only testing for one form. And with Rick's test, we're picking up nitrate, we're picking up ammonicable we're picking up about 23 different forms of organic nitrogen that's in that amino acid form that is already plant available that other tests just don't test for. And, you know, I I travel a lot with Lance Gunderson and I get to talk with Rick a lot. And I'm, I, I would say I'm very privileged to have, you know, to have those two guys to be able to speak to. But across like 40,000 samples across the U.S., average farmer saves 20 to 30 pounds of nitrogen on that test alone that we're not seeing on any other test. And, you know, you take a year like this where nitrogen's a buck fifty a pound or buck seventy five a pound, depending on your region, you're starting talking about fifty, sixty dollars an acre pretty quick. And so, you know, to see that change, I mean, agronomy does not go out the window just because you're doing regenerative practices. It still takes a pound to a pound and a quarter of nitrogen to make a bushel of corn. But if I can pick up an additional 40 pounds and scientifically know that it's already there in my soil profile, that's 40 pounds that I can cut back additionally on the farm. It cost about a dollar and 25 cents an acre for me to run that test. And I just told you, you know, on average, people are saving 40 to 50 this year. To give you an idea, I saved $183 an acre on some of our best farms that we have high organic matter and high um, CO2 respiration rates, those biological indicators that we look for, the test actually showed that we had about 130 pounds of nitrogen in the top foot, in the top 12 inches of soil when we tested it. And, you know, that's $183 an acre. I mean, you, you take a 1,000-acre row crop farmer that, that has a 1,000 acres of corn, that's $183,000 in savings this year. We're spending about $2,000. 
So how are you, you know, you said you, you took four years to test your whole farm initially. This seems like something that would be a moving target. Are you now testing every acre every year or, or how do you test now? So, you know, we've done grid sampling, um, you know, with the Haney test, really, if it's, um, we test by zones now. Um, we found it to be the most economical and we actually got, you know, as consistent of data as us doing two and a half acre grids. Um, and so we look at a farm, you say, you know, a hundred acre farm and we have 80 acres of one soil type and 20 acres of another soil type. And, and we know that there's that difference there based on soil testing and yield. We use a lot of our, our yield map monitoring. And so we'll test that 80 acres as, as the one sample. And then we'll test the 20 acres as another sample. And that's really the only way that we're differentiating is by soil type or, or zone management. Um, and, and that's just as consistent as what we saw on two and a half acre grids. Um, and it does call, it, it dramatically cuts down on the cost of our, our testing as well and really does help our bottom line. But you're doing that test every year ahead of corn or, or where is it getting tested and, and how often? So when we first started doing this, yeah, we, we pulled samples every single year. And, you know, we do a lot of consulting with, with other farmers around the country. And I would say the first two, possibly three years, um, yeah, you're going to be pulling this sample every year. I'm to the point now, I don't have to. Um, mm. I, I know what my crop coming off is. I know what my, you know, fertility management is. Um, if we're going to soybeans, I don't have to test in front of that because if I have my back year's data plus my yield mapping and we know that our, our, our P and our K are, are within levels and our, our, our pH is where we want it to be, I don't have to apply nitrogen. So we don't have any tests all the time on all of our bean acres. Um, going to corn, absolutely. Um, all of our corn acres uh, get tested. Um, so, you know, typically in a rotation, corn is in a field every every other year or every third year. So we have like either a, a, a double-year rotation or a three-year rotation where there'll be corn there. So that's typically when we pull the Haney test on that farm. And, you know, you start understanding as a farmer, if you get out in your field while you're pulling this data and having these tests ran, that you can actually learn to observe um, how these functions work within your field without having to do as much testing. Um, and that, and that's what we try to do for us and other farmers as well that we work with just to, you know, if it's something we don't need, then why are we doing it? Right. So when you're looking at that Haney test um, on the years that you do take it, or especially before corn, you know, is nitrogen your primary concern? Is nitrogen your only concern? Um, nitrogen will be primary before corn. Um, it's, it's typically the one that we have to, you know, farmers, if you look at their bulk of their fertility, you know, largest amount they're putting on is nitrogen. Um, if it's a farm that is, you know, it's cycling well, we see high, um, microbial activity and, you know, we already have our other nutrients where we want them to be, say phosphorus, potassium, sulfur. You know, it's not something that is, is as critical as looking at, you know, the nitrogen aspect and being able to, to really cut back. Um, and, and that really does save us the most money is, is taking that nitrogen credit and being able to utilize that. As you advanced in your, your cover crop system, um, and we're testing along the way with that Haney test, were you able to watch your soil move forward, move ahead in that test with your cover crops? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll give you an example. Year one on one of our farms, our, our CO2 respiration was like a 60 or a 70. Our soil health score might have been like a 5 to 7. Um, our our WEOC, that, that 
food source for the biology was fairly low, probably 50s or 60s. And we actually have one farm that we have Haney test every year. I mean, the, the main one that I speak about when I go to conferences, um, we test it every single year. We test at multiple depths. And I can show you that, like, simply no-till and cover crops in one field added you know, CO2 respiration rate may have went up 30 points per year, and we off may go up 10 to 15 points per year. And then on that same farm in the same soil type, you may see adding livestock integration, well, your CO2 respiration may go up by 100 or 150. Hmm. And if we, you know, in another field on that farm, instead of doing a, you know, three- or five-way mix, uh, we do a seven- or ten-way mix cover crop. And you may see it exponentially even better than that. So we, we try to do a lot of research on our farm. We, we do work with quite a few universities and, and private companies to do testing and, and management and find out how do we do it the best way, most economical, and what is the best return to the farm and the ground. We'll get back to the podcast in a moment, but I want to take time once again to thank our sponsor, Montag Precision Metering Equipment is helping producers achieve their yield goals while saving on seed and input costs. For establishing cover crops, Montag's family of seed platform equipment adapts to a variety of major brand delivery systems that will conserve seed and nutrients along with soil and water. Explore new options for your production and conservation goals with your Montag dealer or on the Montag Manufacturing website. And now back to the podcast. Why don't you walk me through you know, your your rotation or a year of production. Tell me you know, what you're planting, when you're planting it, and, and how cover crops and livestock fit into the whole picture. So if we want to look at like our two-year rotation, which is corn with full season beans, that's probably the easiest one. It starts the fall before we'll establish a cover crop. We focus on carbon to nitrogen ratios. What we've seen pretty much down here in the south, anything over a 40 to 1, uh, carbon to nitrogen ratio of the actual cover crop will see nutrient tie up. So you can either terminate the cover crop small, which is not what we want. So we look at balancing it with different species. So we'll do cereal rye with triticale and oats, and then we put in vetch, winter peas, and crimson clover, which help to balance that ratio out. And then we put at least one brassica in there. It may be a forage collard. It could be like a, a black oil seed rape, which is fairly cheap. Um, we started with radishes back in 2012, mm-hmm. but we kind of went away from them because they winter kill, and we want we want to be breaking up that compaction and scavenging nitrogen and sulfur as long as we can with those brassicas. Um, so once that cover crop is established in the fall, the next spring, um, it really depends on weather outlook. Um, most years we plant maybe a week or two um, or three weeks uh, later than most of our neighbors. Um, because we want to get that residue uh, biomass up in numbers as far as pounds or tons per acre. And then we will come in and we plant everything green if possible. Um, I know that's a, a big topic among, among farmers is, you know, hey, if you plant green, you get the maximum benefit. The only time that we discourage against that is like, say, 2015. We were already in like a D2 drought going into planting season. We, we terminated ahead of time. Um, we had to have at least some soil moisture there to get the crop up and growing. So we did, you know, terminate probably about a week or two ahead of planting time. Other than that, we're planting into it green and standing. Our planter has a roller on it um, now, so we don't have to roll ahead of or behind. Uh, we put getter stock devastators on our corn planter so we can, we can crimp and roll and plant all in one pass, uh, which saves us quite a bit of money. 
corn varieties in our area typically run like 100 and 114 day to about 120 day. We shorten those up. We, we plant about 105 to maybe 115 day corn so we can harvest a little bit early and get that cover crop established. Um, and we don't see that we're sacrificing yield by doing that as well. Um, so we've changed up our, our planting varieties as well to, to kind of narrow up that, that season window to get cover crops established timely. Okay. So when you're deciding what kind of cover crops to plant or what kind of, of mix to plant, has the data that you've brought in, you know, through your yield monitor, through the Haney test, has that adjusted what you what you plant or how has your mix evolved? Oh, it's it's changes every year. Um you know, so many times you hear farmers say, well, what Russell's doing in North Carolina won't work in North Dakota. They're absolutely right. They should not plant the same mixes, the same uh, rates. You move from North Carolina to Kansas, you're probably going to cut your seeding rate at least by half. Um, just because they don't have the same amount of moisture we have, they can't sustain the same number of live seeds. Um, but the principles still apply. Um, water's just ultimately the limiting factor. Um but as far as changing our mixes, yeah, when we first started and we didn't have a lot of biological activity, we probably only had maybe 20, 25 pounds of small grain in the mix. Um, and as you see biology increase and it starts breaking that residue down because we want season-long coverage, we had to increase our small grains. So, you know, instead of 20, 25 pounds, right now we're about 45 to 50 pounds. And we had to increase that small grain seed to be able to keep that weed suppression, nutrient cycling, all the different benefits uh, of keeping the ground cooler, especially here in the southeast, just keeping it shaded out with cover. We do have to make those adjustments. We've done a lot of tests where like 30 pounds of cereal rye was really good. And we were like, hey, we were just like every other farmer. Hey, maybe more is better. So we did 60 pounds. And then in the same field, we did 120 pounds. And where we did the 120 pounds of rye in the mix, uh, we actually dinged our corn yield by about 40 to 50 bushels. And that was actually our first year that we started even thinking about that carbon to nitrogen ratio and, um, and tying up nutrients. You, you can tie up nutrients with these cover crops if you don't have the biology there to break them down and you have that carbon to nitrogen ratio imbalance. Can you tell using any of your tests when those nutrients are going to come available or, or when they would be tied up? Like, how do you dial in when you're going to get those nutrients back from those cover crops? Uh, so um, Region Ag Labs runs the um, total nutrient test for cover crop residue. So we go out each spring and we'll cut. I mean, Lance doesn't tell you a, a definite number that you have to do, but like on our farm, we sample a two-foot by two-foot area, and we'll take that across maybe three or four spots in the field so we get a good representation of that cover crop biomass. And you put it in a, a big old trash bag and ship it to the lab, and they'll take it, and they grind it up, and they tell us how much carbon's in there, how much nitrogen's in there. So now we can actually tell what our carbon and nitrogen ratio is. They tell us phosphorus, potassium, sulfur. I mean, there's so many different nutrients that come with that test that you know, we can also utilize, um, University of Georgia has the nitrogen calculator. Uh, we tell a lot of farmers about it. You can do the same thing I just told you about with Lance's lab where you send it to them. Um, they don't give you any other nutrient other than nitrogen, but they give you a really nice, uh, XY graph where it says, you know, this is when the expected release of nitrogen will be. This is how long the release will be. And this is the total number of pounds of nitrogen that'll be released. It's, it's kind of like a way for us to kind of double check what Lance's lab is doing with another outside source on nitrogen. 
Um, and we've seen those correlate the last five, six years to be pretty much with, within, you know, 95 to 100% of each other. Um, and so the way we look at nitrogen management and what's released from cover crop is we take a 60% credit for nitrogen first year if we're within that 40 or, you know, 50 to 1. And then um, on phosphorus, potassium, we're about 75 to 80%. Um, and farmers just have to learn, like, there's, this is not a silver bullet. If your carbon to nitrogen ratio is lower than 40 to 1, you're going to see a faster release and more release. If you go up from 40 to 1 and say they're at that 60 to 1, they're probably going to cut those numbers down by a third as far as the release numbers go. So, I mean, yes, we do have valid testing on it, and we, we see what that release is. But as farmers, we have to learn how to start doing some of our own agronomy now, too. Mm-hmm. So is it you would take that test and then, you know, control the cover crop right then so you know exactly when um, those nutrients are going to be released? Because I imagine it changes the more mature the cover crop gets. So I guess I'm, I'm looking for the timing on when you would be taking that test and then steps you're taking how soon after you've taken that test. So um, we pull Haney tests when the ground's at least 55 degrees and, and, and getting hotter because we want to see that microbial activity. So like, uh, to give you an idea, probably around March 25th to April the 1st in North Carolina, um, we're starting to see spring weather come in, the ground's getting warmed up. We're seeing that biological activity. That's when I go pull my Haney test. Um, if I know I'm going to be planting a corn crop, I will pull those, uh, biomass samples typically about a week, a week ahead of time um, from planting. Um, yeah, we're going to see a little bit of change in that week window, but it's it's not as critical um, to be like the day of. And okay. and, it, and it also gives us a, a time frame there to, to actually get the work done because, I mean, everybody's so busy in the springtime. It's it's just what, what's worked out for us. And we top dress. You know, that's one thing that we have lower CEC soils, um, we don't have a lot of nitrogen. We don't front load nitrogen and put, you know, 200 pounds up pre-plant. We probably run anywhere from about 50 to 80 pounds of nitrogen out of our corn planter. Um, that's our pretty close to our standard practice. And then we take and look at what the Haney uh, credit is. We take a look at the cover crop credit, and then we adjust our, our top dress nitrogen based on those credits, which is not going to be a huge rush for us, a rush for us because we've got about another – 45 to 60 days before we're even looking at going over with our top dress nitrogen. So it gives us ample amount of time to make that adjustment and, and not be in such a rush. So you've made a lot of changes to your, your cover crop strategies and how you test them. How has that knowledge allowed you to change either your cropping rotation or what you grow um, or how you grow? I know you, um, you raise non-GMO crops. Is that correct? Yeah, we're, we're raising non-GMO crops. Even some of them are, are extremely old, open-pollinated, you know, corn varieties from the 1800s. Um, I would say our, 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 our cover crops and our, our regenerative practices have cut our chemical usage by about 90%. Um, most of the time now, we're a single chemical at burn down. We, we don't have to post-spray a lot of our acres. Insect management, um, we, we don't have to spray insecticides and fungicides and, and I'm not knocking on that stuff. I've got a whole chemical, chemical building that's, that's full of fungicides, insecticides and chemicals. And if it's the difference between 
losing a, spr- a crop or you know spraying uh, for a pest, I'm I'm going to go spray. Um, that's that's just how we look at it. Um, but if we don't need it, based on our scouting and and you know walking fields and our management strategies, uh, it's just money that we don't have to use. You know, being able to do the non-GMO and the specialty crops really has helped with the economics of the farm. Instead of, you know, grain prices are never going to stay this this high that they are right now with with all the turmoil going on in the world. Typically, corn's three fifty a bushel on the board, um, mm-hmm. and we typically get about seven fifty to ten dollars uh, for straight grain um, if we're cleaning it and you know going into a bourbon or uh, selling it for seed or grinding it up into grits and cornmeal, you know, you're, you're talking anywhere from a hundred to $300 a bushel, um, for that crop. And yeah, there's a little bit more work left into it, but, um, definitely for the return on investment, it's, it's worth our farm. You don't have to do a thousand acres of, of what we're doing to, to really see a good net economical return. Great. So looking at, at what you've done and, and what you've achieved, how critical has the testing component of your of your strategy then to making those changes and and moving forward um in in your various businesses have they helped guide your decisions are they just a nice fail safe or or what role does does testing and understanding what's going on in those cover crops what's going on in that soil how has that impacted your decision making process I, i would say in the first three or four years um very critical you know as farmers we continually hear you know Farmers are creatures of habit, and the way farmers have been doing it for for a very long time now, it is hard to um, to unlearn some of those bad habits and pick up better ones. Um, so, for us to have real non-biased data that you know we still pull a Mealic three standard university test and still compare that to our Haney test to this day for us to even understand what our what our cost savings are. And, you know, for me to spend a little bit of money to get that meal at three test done at the same time and to really put a pencil to, you know, how much money we're truly saving, it really was critical in those first three or four years. And we still do it to this day. You know, in our corn crops, we'll still put a full rate of nitrogen out on, you know, say a 90-foot spreader pass, and we'll replicate that across the field, say, two or three times. And then we look at the yield monitor. Um, is the Haney test yielding? as good as an extra 200 units of nitrogen but typically we only see that extra 200 units of nitrogen make another say three to five bushels of corn and even where the corn board's at right now at seven bucks that still doesn't justify me spending you know two to four hundred dollars an acre more in nitrogen this year to make an extra five bushels and so that's that's really what we pay attention to is you know we do check strips on the farm we we really monitor the data um, we don't have to do it near as intensively now uh, just because we've learned uh, how to manage that on our own farm without it, but we still utilize the testing. There's no blind trust. You want to make sure everything's doing what it's, it's supposed to be doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and weather does play a, a big role in that. You know, farmers get so relaxed when it comes to soil testing. They think if they get a soil test in April that that means that's exactly what's going to happen during the year. And uh even with the Haney test, you know, 2015, when we went into the drought, I called down to Rick's lab at ARS uh, probably the 1st of June, and I was like, hey, man, my residue is not breaking down. We don't have water. It is extremely dry. What should I do? And, you know, Rick's first comment was, you need to pull another test because you've changed. You know, you're not having a normal year. And so we pulled that test, 
And based on our nitrogen reductions on the front end, we actually had to apply about an extra 30 units of nitrogen for the yield goal that we wanted. Um, so it's it doesn't matter if it's rig test or a conventional test. I mean, it can change um, every single day. And it, it's all dependent on something that we have very little control over as farmers, and that's the weather. Ah, uh, the weather. doesn't matter what you're doing. It's always there to, to test you. Yep. Um, so all of this testing might seem intimidating to someone, but if, if you, you know, if somebody is, is wanting to get into cover crops or is already into cover crops but kind of wants to evaluate um, like you are, where should they start? What's the first thing they should do? Establish your baselines. Um, I, I wish there's things that I would have known to do in 2012 that people would have told me about that we learned later on, but um, pull a Haney test, pull a PLFA test. You can send those to Regen Ag Labs, um, and, and that gives you a baseline of what your biology counts are, um, where your soil carbon to nitrogen ratio is, where your microbial activity is. Uh, those are two really great tests for farmers that are just starting out to kind of set the bar where you're at currently. You know, you can also um, you can also look at other testing. You know, pull some cover crop samples and send them in for that total nutrition uh, nutrient availability on it. Um, there's another test that just came out this year that we're going to start pulling on some of our farms, but it's uh, it's actually a total digest uh, nutrient testing where you know we have so many nutrients in our soil profile that are not plant available that you can actually test and see what the total nutrient availability is, and then we can we can look at cover crops or management strategies on how to unlock those 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 nutrients that are already there that just aren't crop available. And that's that's a really cool test. I haven't ran one yet, but our our plan is this year we're going to start utilizing it and seeing the the data we can get from it. But uh, water infiltration testing, the water infiltration test, because we didn't start that until 2013, and we were at about a half inch an hour on water infiltration. Now we're up to like seven to 14 inches an hour. So you know, like you said earlier, you can hear on the phone that it's raining right now. We don't have water leaving our fields anymore. It's it's soaked up in the profile and stored there for the crop later when we need it. And it's it's really nice having that big sponge there for during the growing season because if it rains and you don't get it in the soil profile, it, it doesn't matter. It's, you're not going to have it available to make the crop with. Great. Well, it sure sounds like you're you're doing a lot of things right and uh, are, are probably going to change more things in the future. Uh, I look forward to hearing about those uh, when the time comes. But I think that's uh, that's enough for today. And, Russell, thank you so much for your time, and uh, best of luck uh, when it stops raining. Yep, thank you for having me. Thanks to Hickory, North Carolina, no-tiller Russell Hedrick and contributing editor Martha Mintz for that conversation about building soil structure and function with no-till and cover crops. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Montag Precision Metering Equipment is helping producers achieve their yield goals while saving on seed and input costs. For establishing cover crops, Montag's family of seed platform equipment adapts to a variety of major brand delivery systems that will conserve seed and nutrients along with soil and water. Explore new options for your production and conservation goals with your Montag dealer or on the Montag Manufacturing website. For more information about all things cover crops, visit us online at covercropstrategies.com.